Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 117. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore on Twitter, filling in for my normal co-host, John White, at Journeyman. We are pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey to virtual enlightenment. So let's take a trip. All right, we're back. And this week, we're back with Kate Imshoff of Innovatus Group. And you may not know it, but Innovatus Group has a very large client, which happens to be VMware User Group. I know many out there are very familiar with the VMware User Group. So Kate is the Senior Director of Program Management and Operations. Interestingly enough, based on her hire date in March of 2020, she has never been to an in-person VMUG user con. Maybe that'll change as we come out of the pandemic. Kate took an early trip abroad right after college, and it really sparked an interest in international business and kind of became the launch pad for where she went after that. And then you'll hear the story of how she wanted to get out of Chicago and joined a company where she was a bit of an outlier. She had this marketing and public relations background, but she was working with a lot of technical people. And Kate did some really interesting things to get along with those people to be a great part of the team, and then she was able to give them some very pointed feedback on something that they could do to improve, and they listened. Kudos to her for that. I want you to listen really closely to the story Kate tells about advice she gave her husband, something he needed to pay more attention to on conference calls that had women participants. Here we go with part one of our interview with Kate and Shaw. Kate Mshoff, welcome, and thanks for joining us on the Nerd Journey Podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Can you tell our listeners just a little bit about who you are and what you do today? Sure. Um, so I am a, a mother of three living in the Chicago suburbs. I currently work for Innovatus Group, um, and as part of that, one of our biggest clients is VMUG, the VMware User Group. And my primary role there is a senior director over most of the programs that we run. So there's a, a pretty robust team that we've got. We've got a lot of stuff going on, lots of events, lots of webcasts. Um, so most of that team and I are working towards, you know, surviving and thriving in this pandemic. Yeah, I bet that's been challenging for sure. It's been challenging for a lot of us. Now, does that also include working with sponsors of VMware User Group? Yeah. Um, personally, I don't really work on the sales side. That's the one piece I'm not as involved in. Um, more on the execution of all the programs that we do. Okay. Programs meaning getting user cons out there or... User cons are a huge piece of it, which I have actually never attended one. So interestingly enough, I started on March 9th, 2020. Oh, wow. Right before it all went virtual. Yeah. Yep. So that was the week everything shut down. 
So, uh, yeah, all the user cons, which now um, we've moved those successfully to a virtual experience. Um, we've also introduced new virtual events as well. And then luckily for VMUG going into all this, you know, we had a pretty robust virtual event program. So that allowed us to to pivot pretty quickly. I know I've tried, tried to avoid using that word. It's been a little overused lately. Hey, that's all right. Moving quickly is important. And just to let everybody know who's listening, if you're a VMware user group member, you get access to these local chapters in your area who are now virtual, right? And then they have uh, regional events, what we call the user con, which before the pandemic was a full free one-day conference, basically with all kinds of technical content. Correct. And then well, now virtual until maybe later this year, but right? Yep. That's the plan, September 1st. Okay, we'll see We'll see how it goes. I think we'll dig into maybe VMUG stuff a little bit later. But sure. before we do, let's talk about kind of how you got to where you are. I think it helps people to, to understand what people's career journey was and some of the inflection points along the way. So can you start with maybe what you studied in school and what you ended up getting into after that? Sure, sure. Um, so I went to Illinois State University. I studied um, just general communications, then focused on uh, public relations and business administration. So pretty, pretty broad. Not sure. Graduated a little envious of people that knew they wanted to be a nurse or knew they wanted to be a teacher because that path was pretty clear. Um, and for me, it really wasn't. And so I was trying you know, to figure out what I wanted to do. But one of the, the key things that I did during that experience was I studied abroad in Salzburg, Austria. Um, and while, you know, most of my classmates were skiing, I took it as I picked Austria because it was so central in Europe and easy to get to so many different places. So I did 11 countries in that one semester on $5,000 for the wow. whole thing. That's <laughs> yeah. impressive. Yep, I took out a special loan just for that. And uh, we would, you know, steal muffins from the buffets and stuff them in our pockets to eat later just to make every penny. But it was an awesome experience. And really, that's what really drove me towards always working with an eye on international business and knowing that that was something I wanted to work in. So then I I moved on and one of my first uh my first jobs was working for the Radiological Society of North America. It's an association um, based out in Chicago that is uh, for radiologists. I started marketing there, and marketing there is just, you know, an admin position. It was a newly created position. I interviewed for a higher level position, but, you know, I really didn't have any experience. And so they needed more of an admin role, and I got that. And I only mentioned that because, interestingly enough, Every single position I've had in my entire career has been a newly created role. Really? I've never stepped into a role that existed before. I don't really know how to do that. So anyways, I don't know if that's been on purpose or just worked out that way. But they charged me with marketing our scholarly journals. And long story short, they hadn't been marketing them to institutions, so libraries and hospitals. They'd just been selling to individuals. 
So it developed a new business strategy, which involved a lot of license negotiation with universities and healthcare systems internationally. And so really thrived in that. And, you know, that's something to navigate. Every country has a different type of healthcare system. So, you know, you're sometimes selling to like the National Institutes of Health in China or, you know, the entire government and these consortia. So that was a really interesting and fun experience and built it all from scratch, which allowed me to elevate pretty quickly. I became a manager at a really young age and I was horrible at it. In retrospect, I feel really bad for some of those people I managed early on. I didn't understand at that point that that is a key part of your job as you elevate. It becomes less about the things you're executing on, and it's more about growing and encouraging and coaching and mentoring, and that you have to be very intentional about those things. You can't just hope it all works out. I I do regret that, but... I really just wanted to leave Chicago. I'd never lived anywhere else. So I actually accepted a job in London with the Royal Society. Um, That was one of the oldest societies. I flew out there and interviewed, and I accepted a job that was going to be like the equivalent of making $25,000 a year in London. So was going to be back to those days, I think, of studying abroad. It ended up not working out after I gave up my apartment lease, sold all my furniture because they had never sponsored a U.S. um, citizen before. And it just was navigating the whole visa process didn't work out. So I ended up staying. And then I wanted to, like I said, I was still pretty motivated to live somewhere else, to work somewhere else. And so I started interviewing at an organization that takes content and puts it online at the time the really like hot thing was semantic publishing and semantic tagging and so I interviewed with this organization called Adapon and then I called my friend Michael and asked him about it you mentioned that all the jobs you've taken were created so was he was he just saying you need to meet these people or were they actively con- recruiting for a role that had just been newly created. I was I was trying to figure out, did you approach these organizations about the role specifically that they needed, or did you get wind of something that was happening? I had met somebody at a conference, um, and I was talking with him about how they were growing, and it was a director of marketing role, and I had had that initial background in marketing. Um, and so when I called my other friend in the industry um, and told him about it, he was like, we're also creating a marketing role. The thing that was interesting about Silverchair was um, it was like working for a 20-year-old startup. They were really successful and with another piece of software that was, I think it was something to do with like education for people that worked in long-term health facilities. It had nothing to do with what we were doing. And they sold it to a venture capitalist and they were starting this new project. So it was a totally new thing. But so there was a a lot of benefits of a more established organization, but with really that startup energy. So yeah, moved out to Charlottesville, Virginia, never had any idea that that was going to become known for some crazy things that happened in Charlottesville that were just outside of our office. I still can't believe that that happened in that city, but that's where I lived. And right before I moved out there, I met my husband and I didn't know he was going to be my husband, but we uh, had a long-term or long distance relationship for a while. And 
I decided I wanted to come back to Chicago eventually. And I did. And I worked from home and I hated it. So you can tell how I'm doing right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, some people aren't enjoying it so much, but other people are loving it. When you moved out there Mm -hmm. uh, to the Charlottesville area, I'm assuming you didn't really know anybody except maybe a couple people you worked with, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And were were you before that? kind of a homebody like to be close to family i know you had the travel bug but i was just curious was the distance in addition to being in a long-term relationship from family a problem yes and no i'm so grateful that i did it's um it's uh where the university of virginia is so it's a pretty cool university town they've got a lot a great restaurant scene tons of concerts um so anyways, it was a great experience and glad that I got the chance to live somewhere else. I would be lying if I didn't say I still get that itch sometimes. I think everybody's kind of evaluating that in the pandemic. Like, okay, if I really did wasn't tied to this city, where would I want to live? What would I want to do? So glad I, glad I got to have that experience. And I think another thing that was really interesting about this whole time that I was working in kind of, we were working with all different types of scientific, technical, and medical publishers. So got to get into the whole STEM fields, you know, with this kind of like marketing PR background and, you know, working with these really like cerebral type people that are editors from, you know, by trade. And I was none of those things. And I think I was always very interested in everything that they had to say. And I would be lying if I didn't say half the time I was just pretending to understand what they were talking about. But um, I was kind of an outlier at the time, you know, and I think it's important because I think sometimes in your career, you can lean towards places where you feel more comfortable. But I think it's really important to try things where you're very uncomfortable or maybe you're you don't quite fit in and it actually can make you stand out a little bit more and how how comfortable were you asking those folks that you felt were very deep in their element where you felt you were a little bit outside of yours how comfortable were they with you asking questions about what they were doing how they were doing it learning from I mean them? they loved it it was great you know they loved And that's the thing. I think that's probably true for a lot of people. They like talking about themselves and things that they've learned. And you just have to be vulnerable enough to ask the questions, right? You have to be curious and you have to show that curiosity. And like I just said, you know, sometimes I definitely pretended like I understood because there's a line. You have to be able to like hold your own in the conversation. It can't just all be peppering somebody with questions, but I think, yeah, especially these people. I mean, most of the people that I work with had like Ivy League degrees from, you know, crazy schools and crazy backgrounds. And I had never met anyone that had gone to Harvard before in my life. You know, like I didn't engage. That wasn't my crew for sure. It was it was really fun. And some of those people I cherish and consider lifelong friends. And it it was great. It was great. It's really good when people that you perceive to be experts in a field when you're not are very welcoming and kind because they can just knowing that they're experts can make you just a little bit 
intimidated almost to where I don't want them to think that I am stupid or or dumb. So to be fair, in Charlottesville, it's like this weird East Coast meets the South like blend. And here I am with my strong Chicago accent and, you know, them kind of – I definitely heard like whispers and making fun of how I talked and – there's a cultural change. I mean, you're in Texas. Gosh, I was just down there. It's a different country to me. You know, like all these different parts of our our country, there are very different, I don't know, cultural experiences. So navigating that, also navigating like a different business culture that I wasn't used to. But again, it can be a good thing to be different. Yeah. Working with different types of people who that you're not used to working with is a great thing to help you extend your expertise, but learn how to work with with different kinds of people. It allows you to show you know greater empathy and understand different perspectives and ways of thinking that you might not have really been exposed to. Before. Yeah, it is, and I think you know as a woman in my profession, and especially at the time a younger woman, I think. I don't know honestly where this came from, but there was like, it's just a profound moment. I remember I was kind of educating the team on what it was like to work with nonprofits and they were trying to sell to nonprofit organizations and there's just a different mentality. And, you know, we would go through like scenario planning and talking about like different situations and how we're going to try and sell. And I created like a fake, you know, like the Staples easy button I called it an arrogance button. And whenever they would try to sell and the CEO of our company was involved in this and I would just, eh, you sound arrogant and would just call them out constantly on it. And I can't believe that I was brave enough to do that, to be honest, at the time. But I think, I think I got some respect for it, you know, and that I was not unafraid to do that. But I think the key is you got to work with people that are okay with that. And I've learned enough about myself to know that I'm not going to be able to keep my mouth shut. So if I'm not going to be successful if there's somebody that's super sensitive to that. Yeah, it's important to be able to give people feedback. It's funny because I just had a conversation with some folks about this last week. Those people deserve to have the feedback, even if it's difficult for you to say it or even difficult for them to accept it. But hopefully, to your point they can internalize it and really reflect on, okay, is that really, is that really true? I remember reading a book called Thanks for the Feedback. And I remember them saying that sometimes feedback from the people you disagree with the most is actually the most insightful. I could see that, but you have to be open because if it was somebody that you fundamentally disagree with, right, you may not even be open to listening. So you'd have to make sure you at least crack that open. But then I could definitely see that. Yeah. You got to be willing to accept some of it. I think that's great that you were able to call out the arrogance because it seems like sometimes the way people present themselves, whether it's on a call, in person, they may not even know that they're doing it. It just kind of presents this air of arrogance. Like It's hard to explain, but I, I think I know what yeah. you mean. And maybe they were doing it on purpose. I don't know. No, that was like constant like shock. Like, wait, what? What did I just say? Like, what are you talking about? And 
It was really fun. It was a fun experience. That does sound fun. So then uh, I was working from home in Chicago, you know, not really loving it. I am definitely an extrovert to the max. Like there is no way around that. And I need to be around people to feel energized. And so the executive director from RSNA at the place I was at before asked me to go to lunch and told me he wanted to start this new department dedicated to international affairs. I think that was the name we ended in. Okay. So this was while you were at silver chair. Yeah. And so, um, I had done all that contracting and license negotiation internationally, which, you know, did require you to dive into the culture quite a bit. Cause as you can imagine, there's different approaches you need to take with different parts of the world. And so it would be starting everything from scratch, hiring the team and in nonprofits, um, creating kind of a committee and governance structure to support that as well. And so um, dove right in and, you know, I ended up staying for in that role for seven years, which is kind of crazy to me. You know, we were constantly building and rebuilding and there's a whole big world out there. So there's a lot to tackle. But I think during that time I got married, I had three kids in those seven years. So it was a lot going on personally. And I remember when I was pregnant with my daughter, I really felt like bored. Like I had done what I needed to do there. I needed to move on to something else. And I actually ended up interviewing for a job when I was nine months pregnant, which I still can't believe that I did that. (laughs) Oh, wow. And uh, there was a lot of people in my life at that time that were, you know, what are you doing? You have this really great job where you're very comfortable. You know, it's something that is easy for you. You've got three small children. What are you even thinking? And I listened to that. And if I had anything that I regret in retrospect, it was listening that you can't, because to me at the end of the day, I'm still away from my family for a good chunk of the day. I want to be doing something that I'm learning and growing, not something where I'm floating. So if I'm going to take that time away, let's, you know, do something you're passionate about and interested in. And, you know, it, it does seem scary. There's not a ton of examples out there of women that have really small children that are, you know, going for the next job or pursuing an ambitious career. And so there's not a lot of, I don't know, there's not a society, I think, that tells you it's okay to do that. It's, you know, most women that work will say to me, you know, well, if if I could work at McDonald's and make the same salary that I make and be closer to my kids, I would take that job. And I just don't feel that way. I would never be happy, you know, doing something where I was bored. And I don't know. I just, I'm very happy for women that don't pursue careers and everybody should be, do whatever makes them happy. I fully, I don't mean to sound unsupportive, but I just don't think you're allowed to say that you want to pursue a career when you have small children. Sure. I mean, no matter who you are and what your situation is, we all have things that we want that are going to make us happy. And hopefully we can be supportive of one another enough to, to say, okay, go for it. I may not fully understand 
based on your situation, how that makes sense. But sure, if that's what you want, why not go for it? Yeah, yeah. I tried to stick around as long as I could because there are great people there and it's a great organization. Um, But it just became abundantly clear that I needed more. And so, um, again, you know, I did apply for other jobs. I went through an interview process and... There are things I don't think necessarily everyone realizes what it's like for women women interviewing, especially when you're doing virtual interviews, like removing all pictures of children, uh, taking off your engagement ring so people don't think they don't have to pay you because, you know, you have a big rock on your finger so her husband must be able to pay for everything. You know, there's a lot of things that you have to to take into consideration that I hadn't before, but I've had other women advise me on. I truly believe that most men don't realize that they're judging those things if they do. And to be fair, women either. But there's just some subtleties that I've come across. Even recently, I was talking with my husband and I just mentioned, you know, when a, when you're on these Zoom calls, which we all know, you know, it's difficult to interrupt each other because kind of just like shifts to one person or another. I said, just try to be extra mindful of making sure the women on your call have an opportunity to talk. And he was like, you're crazy. I work with tons of women. Like, that's never a problem. He totally dismissed it. But then like five days later, he was like, that is a problem. That is really a problem. And like, I'm, I really tried and I noticed that people were talking over the women constantly. So anyway, sorry, I'm kind of getting off on a little bit of a tangent there. No, that's a good tangent. I mean, we need to hear about those things, especially us dudes, because uh, I'm not making excuses. There there are probably people who don't realize they do it, but there may be some who do it on purpose. And if you're one of those people out there, Mr. Person, then you're giving us a bad name, this man. (laughs) So stop it. Don't be that guy. Maybe it gets back to what we were talking about, though, before. And it's not necessarily even like a man versus woman thing. It's like you're talking to the people you're most comfortable talking to. And so you can just get into a conversation where you're, you know, kind of vibing off of each other and going, going, going. And it's easy to forget that you need to include somebody else. Yeah, it's it is exponentially harder, as you mentioned, on a on a virtual conference call to create that psychological safety, Mm -hmm. I guess it can be challenging even when you're in person, but I, I totally see what you're saying there. The subtleties that, that we don't always see. And I, I definitely appreciate you pointing those out because I'm sure that everybody has blind spots in different areas. And that's the thing is like, it's so important. It can be uncomfortable to talk about things that you're feeling and like, I don't want anybody to ever think that I'm being hypercritical or analyzing, you know, how you're communicating with me. But I think it's important to be able to have open discussions where you can say, I'm going to have blind spots. You're going to have blind spots. And like, that's okay. Cause I know you're a good person and we're both just trying to learn here. And, and I think those conversations are so critical and how you grow and how you actually make change, but it's, it's hard to have them. I'm uncomfortable right now talking about them. Yeah, it's uncomfortable to talk about things that make you uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess that's a little bit of inception there. But 
it, it really is hard to have those uncomfortable conversations. I mean, I know I've read uh, fierce conversations and crucial conversations, and it makes me think that I need to go back and, and reread some of those because they really are helpful in those scenarios. But, you know, to your point, unless you are practicing talking about the things that make you uncomfortable or putting yourself in situations that make you uncomfortable, it's it's hard to do. Yeah. It really is. You mentioned virtual interviews. So this this new opportunity with the um, Radiology Association was the, all the interviewing was completely virtual? No, that was um Okay. That was in person, but when I was looking to leave, I was doing, and this was again, like I mentioned okay. earlier, I started my role now March 9th, 2020. So it was not at a time right. where we were required to do virtual interviews yet, but I, um, you know, was interviewing, like, for example, uh, some places, I guess, initial, a lot of inter- initial interviews even then were done virtually, which is interesting. People were traveling and I would, you know, I, I remember interviewing with somebody who was in a hotel room and you just were making it work, I guess. So also in-person interviews at the time. But as you can imagine, ever, every interview I've done since, as far as interviewing other people, have been virtually, obviously. Of course. Which I don't like, but it is what it is. Sure. Yeah, a lot of times the first interview is going to be done via HR screen, no matter what, probably over the phone. And then maybe you talk to the hiring manager next, and that may be a phone call, maybe in person, or, you know, used to be, <laughs> as if you will. Yep. Oh, or the worst, like a panel of five people at once just firing them at you on a Zoom call. Oh, I remember one of those. During these interviews, did anyone ever ask about your family or want you to talk about that? All the time. As part of what you bring to the table? Okay. I don't think anybody realizes. When I was at RSNA, we had like a lot of HR training. And so I learned a lot about what you can and cannot ask and like all the rules around it. And I think there's just different people that haven't had that experience and haven't had that training. And I don't think that they were trying to get, it's just getting to know you thing kind of. And so it's a natural question do you have kids? Because I think, I don't know, part of like my story, I live in the suburbs now and I wanted a job that was in downtown Chicago. I really missed the city and wanted to be back and experience that vibrancy. And so um, I was pri- really focusing on getting a role downtown. And so would you be okay with a commute? Are you sure about that? And I think there was just like this natural, like, oh, well, do you, why do you live out there? Do you have kids? And, you know, then I would talk about that. And, you know, a lot of, um, some, there was one interview I remember specifically, there was interest, a lot of interest in my background in international business. And to be honest, it was something I was intentionally trying to step away from doing so much international travel. And so, I know that that's why some companies wanted to talk to me, but I didn't really want that type of role. And again, the reason I didn't want to do so much international travel was my kids. And so it just kind of, you know, would be natural. Maybe it was me being sensitive, but I couldn't help but sense judgment, you know, wait, you have a two-year-old and you were in China last year? 
or, oh, I could never, I could never. Okay, but I can. So what does that say about me? Right. Yeah, that's, that sounds like it would be hard to take. Now, do you think also when an employer hears that or potential employer hears that you have small children and they're interviewing you, do you think that automatically leads someone whether right or wrong, to believe, oh, I'm going to have to be super flexible with this person. Yeah. I mean, I can say when I started my role now, I work with, I think, four women who had had a baby within the year that I started. So it was probably when I mentioned that I had kids in this interview, like, oh, she'll fit right in. <laughs> and like a good thing. But nice. but yeah, I definitely think, I I know, I know men that I've worked with that have literally said to me, oh, I didn't realize she had small kids, so this is going to be a thing. And it's like, okay, well, if she had disclosed that in the interview, would you have not pursued that person? And these are good people. You know what I mean? They're, they would never admit that that would have been a consideration, but I can't help but wonder. And if you feel that way once you've learned it, then... You know, if there were two candidates that were e equal in all other ways, could it have played a role in your decision making? You know, you don't want to say discrimination, but that's kind of what it made me think of or like an unconscious bias yes. toward making sure that I get the most out of this person, mm -hmm. if you will. Yeah. And I'm not going to do that if they're a, if they're a parent of young children. Yep. Yep. Now, let me ask this question, Kate, if you don't mind. What was your husband's take on your desire for something different despite having small children at the time? Did he offer a different perspective than maybe what you were hearing from some of your female friends? Yeah, and I think I still think this is kind of interesting. you change the way you approach conference calls from now on that was an interesting story and i really appreciated kate sharing all those experiences you know we have guests come on the show and share these experiences to help us understand where our blind spots may be so if you heard yourself as someone who might be the cause of these subtleties in interviewing or conference calls it just means that now is the time to start to course correct that if you think about the different guests who have come on the show, many of them felt like Kate in that they were a little bit bored in what they were doing, and they needed a new challenge. They needed to learn something new. And so she went job hunting again. What made it really interesting was that she went job hunting while nine months pregnant. And a lot of her friends were somewhat discouraging of that. And that's that's hard to take when no one that's like you is supporting what you want to do. I think she definitely learned a lot from that experience. And I liked Kate's advice about seeking an uncomfortable environment. Not an uncomfortable environment in the sense of you're going to be harassed and, and all these other things, but discomfort in maybe the level of knowledge people have compared to you or that they think differently compared to you. A lot of times we just want what we see is going to be comfortable. 
if the team and, and company dynamic is there for you to thrive by being someone who's different from everybody else on the team, definitely go for it because that makes us all better and it gives us another perspective to hear so we can get outside ourselves and again, find those blind spots. I'm definitely looking forward to part two because we're going to dive deeper on mothers and career. Just a reminder that we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter, at Nerd Journey. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm Nick Cordy, at Network Nerd underscore, for my buddy John White, at Feed Journeyman, signing off. Adios.